You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Invite you to get your Bibles out to Psalm 19, carrying on this morning our little series through our doctrinal statement. Um, This is just something that the church, the elders, have been working on for a couple of years uh, and decided in January of this year to go ahead and adopt in this new doctrinal statement. Uh, Out on the table, if you're interested, there is a little pamphlet that has the whole doctrinal statement uh, in one little sheet here with uh, the church covenant on the back side as well. It's just a nice little reference tool if you want to take it home and stick it in your Bible. This is not inspired scripture, which is what we're going to be talking about this morning, but it is helpful. It's a synthesis, an organization of the Bible's message. And so I commend this to you to just for your future reference to take home with you. Um, this morning we will be discussing point number two in the doctrine, which is the doctrine of scripture or the Bible, as it is said in the doctrinal statement. But to start off with, we're going to read a little text of scripture, Psalm 19 about the Word of God. Psalm 19, we'll read verses 7 through 11. Psalm 19, 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So this morning, as I've already said, we're looking at the second point of our doctrinal statement. The first point last week was just kind of our general doctrine of God, God as the maker, God as magnificent, God as uh, alone, he's matchless, he's the one true God, the God on a mission. Those were the four points that we had about God and who he is and that was our first, that's our first point in our doctrinal statement. Then we move on to the next point, which is the Bible. Now, you could trade kind of either one of those out. They aren't necessarily lined up in order of importance. Many doctrinal statements that you'll find have the Bible first and then God second. Because if you'll notice, all that we say about God is what's told us in Scripture. And so you kind of have to have your view of God as what's going to be told to you in Scripture. So you could put Scripture first as the revelation of God, which then tells you what God is like. But the way we have them arranged is God first, because without Him, we don't have a Bible. We don't have His Word. And so we have God as our first doctrinal statement. But then secondly is the Bible, God's special revelation to us. 
I'll read the, dog, the statement, the paragraph here, uh, just to start us off. It says this. This is point two in our doctrinal statement on the Bible. It says, We believe that God has spoken in the Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired Word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of His will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. That is the completion of the paragraph uh, of our doctrinal statement on the Bible. There are tons of passages that go along with that. Um, I encourage you, if you'd like to, I have these printed up every Wednesday, uh, but it is a breakdown. There is a more robust doctrinal statement than the little folder that I have out there that includes all of the scriptures of where and why we are saying the things that we are saying. And so you can see this is that paragraph in one little sheet of paper, and then these are all the passages of Scripture that are affirming uh, the things that we are saying in our doctrinal statement. Um, so there is a ton of Scripture backing up these points that we are making about the Bible itself. But the question does come to us, uh, who gets the final say in our lives? Who is the final authority? Who or what if you boil down the decisions that you make, get the final authority over every decision. Everyone lives with something as the authority of their life. Everyone has some construct or some worldview or some understanding of the world or some moral standard or, or some idea of the way things should be, no matter where they've gotten it from. Everyone has an ultimate authority. The only difference is what we give that authority to. The only thing that divides us is not whether we, some have authorities and some don't. The only thing that divides us is what that authority is. Where do we place that authority? And you could say ultimately, you could say on one hand, well, everyone's authority is themselves because they, they are placing, even if you place the authority in something outside of yourself, you make the decision to do that, so therefore you have the authority. Well, that's called human agency, and I don't want to go down that path too far, but yes. But, so, but what outside of you that you have decided as a human agent able to make decisions, what is the, the idea, the thought, the person, the individual, what outside of yourself do you give authority to? Do you just, at the end of the day, look within what feels right? Do you have a subjective authority? Do you think, well this seems like this would be the right thing to do, or this is what I most desire. And so if, if it's what I most want to do, then it must be the right thing for me to do. Is that the authority that we live with? Do you look around at culture? Do you look around at those around you and say, well, I see this person did this, this person did this, and I saw on the cover of Us Weekly that so-and-so does this, and so evidently this is an okay thing to do, and so... I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Is it within you? Is it around you? Is it in close friends and family? 
Those are good resources. Do you, when you have a decision to make, a right or wrong, do you ask your elders? Do you ask those who are, or maybe your friend, your peer group, and say, what do you think is the right thing to do? And then give them that authority. Who gets the say? You, each one of you, each one of us is putting it somewhere. There's no question on that. You, you are giving something the authority to tell you who to be, what to do, what to believe, what to decide, what morality is. You're putting it somewhere. Where do you put it? And for the, the Orthodox Christian, the one who's seeking to be a faithful Christian, the only answer we can give to that is the Word of God, is the Bible. The Holy Scriptures are our only authority. When I first started um, as interim pastor, I remember it was before I actually started in June. I was, I was here for four weeks, and I think I preached, well, I, I think the first time I candidated, or whatever you want to call that, I preached on Jude 4, you know, the contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And I was making a point that, that we as Christians don't live with the Bible, like standing on top of it, digging in periodically to pull out what we like, but we live underneath the scriptures. Everything we say has got to be said with this as a, as a higher authority. We don't live on top of our Bibles saying things we like and things we would like to see happen or whatever. We live underneath scriptures. We live underneath the Bible. It, is, it has authority over top of us. It gets the say. We do not live digging into the Bible whenever we feel like it or have the desire to, to try to back up a point we want to make. We live underneath it such that everything we think, say, and do is put through the lens of Scripture. There are so many ways we could go this morning. I mean, I listened and um, read, and it's, one of, it's a topic I really enjoy um, talking about the reliability of Scripture, what the canon of Scripture is, inspiration, all of these things, uh, they're, they're fascinating to me. There are a million things we could go on. And honestly, it's a weird thing to preach on. Like, I'll be honest with you. Like this week, I was not, this was not the thing I was most excited about preparing for. Because I'm already decided this is the Word of God. And I think most of you probably already decided this is the Word of God. And so what's beneficial for us is not to hear a sermon on how it's the Word of God, but to hear what the Word of God says. And I, and I think I faithfully labor here trying to make that point of what does this say? Just dish out what this book says to God's people that we can hear what he is going to say. And so because I believe the Bible to be God's word, effective and applicable to every listener, I would much rather spend my time speaking out of the book than speaking about the book. However, there are times that it is beneficial to remember why we do that, why we speak so much out of the book. It's necessary and good at times to remember why, we, why it is that we do what we do, which is put forward the Bible so much. So by way of a quick plug for Wednesday night, those of you who are available, if you have questions on the doctrine of Scripture, we take an hour at 6.30, and we, didn't, we had to miss last week, but we'll, this week we'll be talking about the Bible and the human condition, which is point number three of our doctrinal statement. And I'd love to interact with you personally in the group on issues that you might have, questions you might have in regard to Scripture. So that, that's a quick plug. If you're available Wednesday night and you want to talk about Scripture, please show up and, and we can do that. But 
what's important then to discuss? This being the word of God, what is important to discuss when it comes to this doctrine of Scripture? And there's a few big ideas that I think are, are absolutely critical when it comes to God's word. The first is that, and our doctrinal statement kind of goes through this, because we believe God is there, we, all, we not only believe that God is there, but that God is not silent. God is not a silent God. God in his grace and in his mercy is a revealing God. He has, he has told what he is like. He has shown to us, revealed to us who he is. God is, is there. He is not silent. He has spoken. And it's, that may seem like, well, okay, whatever. But that's a really important point. Because if God were not to speak, we would have no, I, I know. Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, okay. Why isn't it? I had it unplugged for you. That's what it is. Wednesday night. Sorry for this brief interlude. This will all be taken out later. <laughs> I just figured it was just messed up again. Sorry. Um, I was saying something very profound. Okay, yeah, that's what I was saying. Uh, that God has, if God were not to speak, we wouldn't know him. Um, my kids have this fun game we like to play. It's I say fun, I say that a little sarcastically. And it's, well, I'm sitting in the kitchen table, they're, they're in the kitchen, and Joel will want something, and he'll, mm, mm. he'll come to us, and he'll say, mm, you know, mm. I don't know what you're talking about. <sighs> you know, and then that's when he gets all frustrated. You know, mm, mm. dude, I have no idea. And, and, but now think about it, this is us in my kitchen, not a vast kitchen, not a big house, uh, my kid, Joel, has a limited number of things he could ever want at a time. Usually it's either an iPad or a snack or something like that that he's asking. It's very limited number of things. But because I'm finite and don't know everything, even the small amount of options and the small amount of communication from him of, mm, 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 I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> How much worse would it be? If God, who is the infinite creator of all things, who makes us and we live our little, little lifespan of if, we're, if, 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 if God is pleased is 70, 80, or 90 years, how can we live through that and expect that we would comprehend the infinite God if he doesn't say something? If God were only to go, hmm, what does he mean by that? I have no idea. And so it's very important when our doctrine of Scripture that we understand God is there and praise God he has spoken. That what a blessing it is that God would tell us who he is. Because if he were not to do that, we would have no idea who he is. We'd be left guessing. And it would be a, I would, would venture to say it's going to be a far worse guess when you're trying to create who God is, far worse guess than me just trying to guess what my kids are saying when they mumble at me. We would not know. So we need to be thankful that God, the God who is there, has condescended, really, to bother to speak to us in, in baby talk, really. That he's decided to, it's like a parent that gets down on the floor and, and, and garbles with their little baby I mean, you think about the vast separation there is between us, the infinite God, sits outside of time, started everything by the command of his mouth, 
now bothers to communicate in human language that we might know him. It's incredible. It's incredible that the God who is there is not silent and so that he has spoken. So God is there. He, the God who is there, he has spoken. And he has spoken as our uh, statement uh, asserts in the Old and New Testament specifically. God has spoken in these two authoritative books, the, what we call the Old Testament. If you were Jewish, you wouldn't like that. You wouldn't call it the Old Testament. It is the Holy Scriptures. Uh, but we call it the Old Testament and then the New Revelation, the New Testament, the 66 books of our Bible. Genesis, Exodus, I won't go through all of them. I could, but I won't go through all of them. And then, and then on all the Gospels and the Epistles of the New Testament, the 66 books of uh, the Protestant Bible, this, these are the right books. Now, these are questions that if we wanted to go much deeper into, I'd love to talk about this issue on Wednesday night. But just to state it affirmingly, we believe that these 66, the 39 of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament are the divine revelation of God. Through It is the verbally inspired word of God through human authors there is human uh, involvement in all of these writings, but God governed over that supernaturally, inspired it such that when these men wrote these things down, we receive the word of God. The canon exists, these 66 books of the Bible, the canon exists not because someone said they were, the canon, the Bible, but because they are the words of God, they make the canon, which is the fancy word for rule. These are the, this is the, the, the rule, the, the standard of God's sayings. The church recognized these 66 books as the authoritative word of God. So all these religious texts outside of those 66 books are not divinely inspired, are not the word of God. We have issues like the Apocrypha, um, these are the deuterocanonical books written after the end of what well, the Jewish people would even consider their Old Testament, uh, their, their Bible. Written after that, uh, you know, we have Judith, we have Tobit, we have Maccabees. We have these books that are Jewish history, but they aren't the Word of God. They, they aren't the inspired Word of God. The church is recognized that they are, those books specifically are, are fine books to read, they aren't authoritative because they aren't the word of God. Other religious texts that are out there, not the word of God. The Quran is not the word of God. Uh, the Book of Mormon is not the word of God. These 66 books of the Bible are the word of God. Other good writers that you might read on religious issues might have good things to say. But they only are right insofar as they conform to the word of God. This is the authoritative word of God. We are sure that these are the right books. And if you wanted to go further into that, I would love to, uh, coming up this Wednesday, go deeper with that with you on those issues. So God is there. He has spoken in the Old and New Testaments, these 66 books authoritatively, nowhere else authoritatively. And because... And thirdly, because it is God's word and because God is perfect and without error, so is his word. If, if this is God's word, if he has communicated to us and it had errors in it, that would mean that God misspoke. And God, as a perfect, holy, righteous being, is not able to err. Therefore, what he says 
is unable to err. That's the very simple definition of inerrancy. It's without error. It's also infallible, which means because it comes from God, it is not able to err. Um, but we don't. There's, those are some of the words we throw around, inerrancy, infallibility. It's saying it doesn't err and it can't err because it comes from God. Therefore, it has no errors. We, there's very popular today to talk about the contradictions of the Bible. All of those, you can get good resources on those. People far smarter than me have done a ton of research in figuring out the supposed contradictions, finding a synthesis. Is there a way both these things can be true? And I would say to you, no, the Bible does not have any contradictions. The Bible is, does not, often it's said, oh, it's full of contradictions. It's often said the Bible is full of errors. And we could get into, we don't have time this morning, we're really running out of time, talk about textual criticism. We can't do that this morning. I'd love to talk to you about it, about how the words, that the, the manuscript transmission and all these issues. Um, we don't have time for that this morning. But it, as it is God's word, it is without error. In the original writings, written in Greek, the New Testament primarily, Hebrew primarily, Aramaic, some of the Old Testament. We now translate that. We don't have, uh, if you're a Muslim, the Quran is written in Arabic in heaven. And so in order to actually read the Quran, you have to be able to read Arabic. It is not in any other language. Our New Testament, our, our scriptures come to us mediated through human language. And so we are able to translate that from the Greek, the Hebrew and Aramaic, thank God, so that we can read an English translation that is not divinely necessarily inspired. We believe that the words are written down in the Greek, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, inspired by God, can be translated. Again, I don't, that's maybe more of a rabbit trail than I needed to go down. We believe God is there, he has spoken in these 66 books because God was without error, uh, his word is without error. And God has providentially governed over this transmission such that we can have great confidence that the words that are there are the right words, though we don't have the original manuscripts. And again, we can discuss that more uh, this Wednesday if you're interested. We could go into tons. I mean, I, tons of arguments about and discussions on the canon, textual criticism, transmission of the text, translation of the text, the apocrypha, other, other issues, on and on how we got the canon. Go on and on. And, and I find it very interesting. As you can see, I didn't have hardly any of that in my notes. I just kind of rambled and have gone on too long about it, honestly. But there, it's rarely, rarely is that a place where it helps us where we live. For instance, when you are in the hospital with a cancer diagnosis or, or something's bad's going on in your life, you aren't sitting down going through all of the justifications of why the, the Bible is the Word of God. You're not going through textual criticism and trying to understand all these issues. You just need to understand. I mean, at that point, there's something that, that just needs to be more clear, I guess, or, or just, just taken on the reality of what it is that helps in that moment. So two places as we close out that that I think just give um, a good synopsis of why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. You can go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and this is a very common place to go uh, when it comes to issues of the Scripture being God's Word. The Bible itself, why do we believe the Bible is the Word of God? Well, the Bible itself claims to be the Word of God. Now, what you're going to say is, well, Darren, that's circular arguing. The Bible is the Word of God because it says it's the Word of God. Well, that's circular thinking, right? 
you can't, if it, it's, it's the word of God because it says it's the word of God, because it is the word of God, and it says it is the word of God, and you go around and around and around, and you think, well, Darren, that doesn't answer anything. But what you have to see is that every ultimate authority eventually is circular argument. I'm in charge, why? Because I say so. I'm in, and how, what parent hasn't used that at some point? <laughs> why are you in charge? Because I say so. Why should I do this? Because I say so. Well, who put you in charge? I said I'm in charge. You know, and there's that kind of, but every ultimate authority, if logic is your ultimate authority, you'd say, well, what makes you think logic is the ultimate authority? Well, I logically came to that conclusion. If reason is your ultimate authority, what makes you think that? Well, I reasoned it. If your own subjective opinion is ultimate authority, why do you think that? Well, because I think it. Every ultimate authority at some level is just self-attesting. And the scripture is no different. It claims to be the word of God. So 2 Timothy 3, 16, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, All scripture is breathed out by God. Now, that's a very specific uh, Greek word there, theonoustos, breathed out by God. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Sometimes this is used almost too easily and too quickly to answer really difficult questions about the Bible, but I'm not trying to do that, but there also is no reason to deny the clarity and the usefulness of a passage like this. Paul tells us this pervasive understanding of the usefulness of Scripture because it is breathed out by God. God spoke it. Therefore, it's profitable. It's useful for reproof, for correction and error, for training and righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Fully equipped, sufficient. What you need to have everything that you need is God's word, because it, it makes you complete for every good work, fully equipped. The Bible doesn't give us all that we want, but it gives us all that we need that we might be fully equipped. It may not tell you who you should marry, but it would tell you what kind of person you should marry. It may not tell you what kind of job, what job to take, but it would tell you what kind of employee to be and what kind of industries to be involved in. It will tell you what a sinful right, what sinful living looks like and what right living looks like. It may not tell you how to handle every situation, but it can put you in the right direction. It tells you all that you need to know, maybe not all that you want to know, so that you can be fully equipped. It is God's word. We trust the Bible because it says itself that it is God's breathed out word. Paul specifically there is talking about the, the Old Testament writings. But um, at this point, not all the New Testament's gathered. Uh, we could, again, this might say this for Wednesday night, but Peter in, in calls Paul's writings in 2 Timothy 3, 16, he says they twist Paul's writings as they do the other scriptures. He calls Paul's writings on par with the rest of scripture. He has an understanding that what Paul is writing is God's word. Paul, in one of his, in his letters uh, in 2 Corinthians Oh, no, in 2 Timothy 5, he quotes Scripture and he quotes the Gospel of Luke, calling them both God has said, and he quotes the Gospel of Luke. So there's this understanding of this continuing tradition of the Scripture coming out as the words of God. And not only that, 2 Timothy 3, 16, Jesus himself had the highest view of Scripture. 
In Matthew 5.18, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus viewed God's word as absolutely authoritative and unable to fail. Jesus, you'll remember in his temptations, he goes into the wilderness three times. Satan tempts him there. And each time, how does Jesus respond to Satan? He, he gives him scripture. He quotes authoritative scripture at Satan. It's how he wins in his temptation. Jesus saw God's word as authoritative, quotes from it as an authority, speaks of his own, seeks his own words as God's word and filled with authority. And he also lays down the groundwork um, for the disciples to put down in words the continuation of his revealed will. In John 14, 26, Jesus speaks of the way in which the Holy Spirit will guide them teaching them to remember all that he had done, that they might continue this revelation of who Jesus is to, um, to God's people. They're going to be carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible speaks of it that way. They're carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit who now indwells believers that we would have ears to hear God's word as he wrote it. That, that, that same Holy Spirit that inspired this text now indwells us. And so when we read the Bible, we ought always to appeal to God, giving us eyes and, to see and ears to hear that we might hear it rightly. Where does that leave us? With a ton of more questions and tons of things, uh, uh, rabbit trails to go down and talk about these things. But from the Bible's own testimony... The Bible's own testimony, I think we have warrant to say that we believe it to be true, and so consequently we believe it to be the actual words of God. God is there. He has spoken in these books of the Bible authoritatively so that we might hear it. So therefore, as the Bible is God's word, it has ultimate authority. It is what tells us what life is, what, what life, how life began, how, why life is the way it is now, where life is headed. Our closing statement, the close of our statement says that Bible is the believed in all that it teaches. It teaches that there is a God who rules over all. He is perfect and righteous. What's gone wrong with the world is the sinfulness of man. It's caused a separation between God and man. Yet this God has not left us alone. He sent his son who, took, who lived the righteous life, fulfilled all righteousness, died the death that we deserved on the cross, so that everyone who believes in him, who looks to Christ, will be saved, forgiven of their sin. It tells all that it should be believed, the Bible should be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires. And I'll say right here, the most important thing it requires is belief. Believe. Jesus is who he said he is. What is the works that we must be doing? Jesus says, this is the work of God. Believe in the one that he has sent. The Bible tells us, and that it's to be, because it is the word of God, it ought to be obeyed in all that it requires, primarily in believing in this God and in Jesus Christ, and it ought to be trusted for all that it promises. God is the God who speaks truth, spoken in his word, tells us what how this all came about, how this all got broken, how he's redeeming all of it, and he's telling us what one day he will do to redeem all of these things. This God will not abandon those who are his, but will fulfill all of his purposes, bringing glory to his own name and eternal joy to those who are his. His. That's why we started in Psalm 19. This book 
This revelation, special revelation, not what we learn from God by looking out at nature, this special revelation where he has spoken to us, this book is to be desired over much fine gold, which is the Bible's way of saying, you know, of all the things that you're chasing after, what could be more beneficial to you than to have unlimited amounts of wealth to do whatever you wanted to do? This book, God's word to us, is to be desired more, far more than fine gold. It's far sweeter than the drippings of honey. It is in believing what it says that there is great reward. So as a church, let us be people who strive to be people of the book, trusting what it says, believing what it teaches, obeying in what it requires, and trusting in all that it promises us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, help us Give us your Holy Spirit that inspired this writing, that it would give us, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, all that you have done, all that you command, all that you have taught, that we might believe, that we might obey, that we might trust. And even this morning, as we now come to a time of communion and celebration of the Lord's Supper, we know this because you have communicated to us. This is what you have told us to do, to trust in you, trust in the work of Christ, to remember his broken body and shed blood and God move in our hearts in this place this morning. You are a trustworthy God and help us, God, to trust you, to look to you, to place in you all authority, giving our lives to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.